Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me here once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Uh, Jason, welcome back. Great to be with you here on a Monday morning. Hope you had a nice weekend. There's a lot to catch up on, so looking forward to our conversation. Hey, good morning, Dan. Happy Monday. Yeah, good to be here. So, Jason, to get started, as our listeners know, over the past week, we have been keeping them informed on the ongoing developments across the banking sector. At this point, this has extended globally. So maybe to start, Jason, we can begin by focusing on the markets. So, Jason, just to take inventory, how have the markets actually performed since the banking stress first arose almost two weeks ago at this point? Well, let's look at market performance across different asset classes since uh, Wednesday, March 8th. It was the next day that the issues with the Silicon Valley Bank first started to emerge. So let's kind of look at over the, the seven trading uh, days since then through Friday's close. Uh, and what you can see is that, you know, you know, equities have actually been relatively resilient. You know, the S&P 500 was down almost 2%. The NASDAQ 100 is up 2.5%. Uh, but a lot of divergence underneath those broad indices. You know, financials are down over 11%, you know, with regional banks down almost 25%. If you look outside of the U.S., uh, you know, yeah, EM and European equities are down two and a half you know, and five percent respectively. Uh, but at least in the U.S. markets, overall things have held up, you know, reasonably well, all things considered. The big really move has been in the rates market. You know, the ten-year Treasury yield is down 125 basis points approximately. You know, over those seven trading days, the ten-year Treasury yield was down about 55 basis points. Uh, if you looked at other parts of the fixed income universe in, in, in corporate credit. Spreads widened out significantly, you know, over 100 basis points for high-yield bonds, about 35 for investment-grade corporate bonds. But what's also interesting is that uh, the U.S. dollar actually had declined on a broad kind of basis, around 1.7%. Oftentimes, when we get these kind of flight-to-safety kind of risk-off moves, you see the dollar kind of strengthens as safe haven. It um, hasn't in this, in this case. Uh, at the same time, you know, oil is down 11%, you know, over that period of time, again, kind of reflecting global growth concerns stemming from all this. Uh, and then you had, you know, the market pricing for rate hikes have just dramatically swung from 100 basis points more Fed hikes as of, as of that Wednesday the 8th to now only 25 basis points more. And although the market was pricing no rate cuts or very little before by year end has oscillated from 75 basis points as of Friday, 125 basis points really early this morning, now back down to about 100. So very, very big swings uh, in, in what's going on in the rates market. And that's reflected if you look at rate volatility. It has absolutely sort of surged, you know, over the past uh, you know, couple of weeks, more so than equity volatility, definitely more than kind of FX volatility. Uh, and the action we've seen overnight and this morning is all kind of consistent with that, at least, you know, directionally. So if we kind of look at, you know, what's kind of, you know, big picture, what, what does this all tell us? You know, a relatively contained equity sell-off that's really been concentrated in, like, you know, in financials, bank stocks, and kind of lower-quality companies, those with high balance sheets, high debt on their balance sheets, and who might be most vulnerable to, you know, a recession. Uh, and when you account for the move lower in interest rates, you know, that would all equal lift equity valuations. Not a lot of kind of an implicit you know, risk premium when equity is kind of going up that much. Uh, you know, even though this has been sort of a situation stimulus in the banking sector, the, really, if you look at the market activity, it's almost as if it's more of a rate shock. Uh, the two-year Treasury yield experienced seven straight days of at least a 15 basis point move, either up or down. That's the most consecutive days of that magnitude since the early 1980s. 
it's a really big kind of almost kind of rate story. Like it's really been a rate story more than anything else. Whereas the fact that the dollar's actually you know declined a little bit and FX volatility has been contained, sort of suggests that the global global spillovers have been relatively contained. It's not becoming a global contagion you know, thus far. Um, if you look at the market pricing, what it's telling us, you know, the rates market is basically saying, you know, a recession is, is right around the corner, where U.S. equities are saying, they're, you know, they're still kind of cautiously optimistic on growth and kind of, you know, being able to avoid a hard recession. Uh, and so that that's kind of one thing. If you actually look also at the yield curve, when it was deeply inverted and when it's around a month, minus 110 basis points on the difference between the two-year and the 10-year Treasury bond, that's kind of recovered to only around minus 40. An inverted yield curve suggests, you know, recession is coming. When the curve starts to re-steepen like this, it suggests a recession is, you know, right around the corner. Uh, and the final thing, just in terms of the market pricing, it does seem like almost corporate credit has taken a bigger hit than equities, which is interesting because it's kind of, by and large, kind of a safer asset class versus the volatility and certainty of equities when you have a growth that slow down. So, again, it's all consistent with equities have been sort of relatively comfortable and calm, so to speak, over the past uh, seven trading days versus the big moves you've seen in the bond market, specifically the Treasury market. Thank you for the market performance recap and providing some perspective there in terms of what the market moves are perhaps indicative of. You did mention rate hikes a few moments ago. That's a good segue because in addition to the fluid bank headlines, all eyes this week will be on the Fed as they are kicking off their two-day policy meeting uh, that will begin tomorrow, Tuesday. And there has been much speculation, Jason, as to how recent developments within the banking sector, how those developments might impact the course for monetary policy near term from here. So I'm curious as to what your expectations are. What might we see from the Fed this week? And how could the markets respond to the different possible outcomes? Well, now that the markets have opened this morning and they're you know, relatively stable, you know, the attention turns entirely to what the Fed does uh, at its FOMC meeting this week. And then what we get on GPM in terms of a potential Fed rate hike, the statement, and then, you know, specifically then, the, you know, Jay Powell, the Fed chair's press conference starting at 2.30. If you look at the market pricing for, uh, you know, what is likely, it's close to a toss-up uh, in terms of a 25 basis point rate hiking. The market is a little more, like, close to about 60% chance of, of a hike happening. If you think about the reasons why a hike is still likely to happen, one is that the, um, you know, the Fed is still has to maintain inflation, you know, credibility, it's inflation fighting credibility, the data still indicates that inflation is just too high uh, and more work needs to be done on that. If we were to pause now, that might kind of raise some questions about whether the Fed is really committed to bringing inflation you know, down. Um, another thing is that you know, the Fed has more information in real time in terms of bank deposits and like how they're shifting among different banks and therefore has a little more insight, more so than investors in real time, where is the real stress in the financial system. So if you were to pause, yeah, it might kind of be a viewed as a negative signal as the Fed knows something that things are worse than the market anticipates, uh, and, and therefore kind of convey a more negative signal than it really wants to, but really believes that the system overall still is in, in solid shape. Uh, so those are some reasons, you know, why the Fed, you know, likely might want to continue to, to move forward. It, it also believes, I think, our central bankers in general kind of believe, and we saw this with the ECB last week, that they have different sets of tools to deal with different problems. When it comes to financial uh, you know, stability risks, they can provide, you know, various access to funding to banks to kind of alleviate that, which is separate from their ability to kind of raise rates to deal with inflation. So I think there's a belief in that regards that would suggest that all sequel, they would want to like hike rates because I think that is 
they can deal with the inflation problem that way while also simultaneously dealing with stability issues. So there are reasons for them not to do it. You know, one, it's that they've done a lot of hiking. Now we're starting to see some of the cracks as a result of the hiking, pausing, reassessing, and sort of deciding at the beginning of May if they want to continue to hike, you know, gives them a chance to really sort of see what are the consequences thus far from the hiking and how much more do they have to do. It would allow them to, kind of, at least in the very near term, prioritize financial stability, make sure that doesn't get out of hand. If it doesn't, then they can refocus on, you know, fighting inflation. Uh, so that's where there's, there's kind of pros and cons. When it comes down to the market reaction, uh, and given what the market is split, and frankly, you know, a lot can happen between now and Tuesday, Wednesday at 2 p.m., I think, you know, the market reaction will hinge somewhat on what is, what's already been priced in. If the market is pricing in 70, 75% chance of a, of a 25 basis point hike, the Fed sort of may take that as an opportunity to, you know, do a hike but sort of be relatively dovish by not really changing much of their guidance going forward in terms of additional hikes, seeing they're very data-dependent, uh, and that will uh, you know, allow them to you know, sort of move forward, take advantage of what the market's pricing, but not, not do you know, more than is necessary. And the market might take that, okay, this is you know, kind of balancing the various kind of pros and cons. And some way, what's really more important is not just what they do this week, but what is the guidance they give kind of going forward. And the inflation problem still exists. The Fed probably has to do more. Um, and they may indicate, like, we're going to be cautious. You know, whether they hike 25 now, they'll be cautious going forward. If they pause now, they'll still say we have to do more. Um, there is precedent for them to sort of pausing, even cutting rates when there's been systemic problems. Back in 1998, there was the LTCM uh, hedge fund kind of crisis. It was tied to kind of, you know, the Russia crisis, where the Fed actually cut 75 basis points in 98, paused. You know, as risk markets equity sold off significantly, then by 1999 started raising rates again. So, you know, it, it's I think anything is sort of on the table. I think the really the key is also what kind of guidance do they give forward in terms of how they're going to prioritize this, and, and you know, and that's what the market is going to, going to look for uh, on where we are on, at Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. I think that's going to dictate to some extent the you know the market reaction, what it's expecting at that point in time, and what kind of communication does. The Fed and Jay Powell give. Well, the historical precedent, Jason, you cited from the late 90s, that's an interesting consideration. So we'll, of course, follow this very closely over the next couple of days, just tying in macro implications for a few moments. You did touch on the growth implications of the banking stress. It's interesting. Some market observers, Jason, they're saying that this makes a hard landing inevitable at this point. So can you speak a bit, Jason, to CIO's view on the economic impact here? Well, what we can say with you know, some degree of confidence is that these developments are certainly negative at the margin for U.S. growth. It's really more of a question of just how much. Uh, and that also kind of leads into the discussion debate of, like, what is the mild recession versus a hard kind of landing scenario. What we know is, you know, it's very likely that, you know, the, the stress in the banking system, especially among you know, regional banks and smaller banks, is going to mean, you know, their lending and sort of their credit creation is going to be less than it otherwise would have been, and access to capital is going to be a little more restricted, and it's going to be more expensive. This is important because, you know, credit growth is really kind of a key driver ultimately to economic growth six, nine months down the line. So as that kind of as credit growth pulls back, that means, you know, economic growth is likely to be kind of lower. Now, if the economic growth prior to this was already suggesting maybe it would be somewhere around 0% GDP growth later this year, you know, so soft just landing, very mild recession at the margin, then this sort of puts us a little bit lower. You know, barring a sudden kind of credit squeeze in the very, very near term, and that doesn't appear to be happening based on, you know, kind of the, the overall operating of the financial system and what we can see thus far, 
these tightening of kind of credit conditions, the lending conditions, will take at least a quarter or two to filter into the economy. So the near-term momentum for the U.S. economy is still relatively resilient. We've seen that in the labor market. We've seen that recently in consumer spending data. We're going to get solid numbers overall for, for Q1, and that momentum should continue into Q2, again, barring some sort of sudden credit crunch. But the risks you know, increase in the second half of this year, and that was already the case prior to these developments because the Fed was suggesting you know, we rate, might raise rates you know, not just another 25 or 50 basis points, but upwards of 100 basis points to really kind of slow the economy to bring inflation down, which remains stubbornly high. And that always was going to be having a greater impact in the second half of this year. So I think the, the magnitude of that could be you know, greater than it was. Whether this ultimately leads to hard landing, I think that, that's still kind of more of an open question. Because you think about where the channels of this credit tightening is going to be most impactful, it tends to be you know, smaller businesses who are going to rely more on these regional banks. Uh, small businesses have been one of the key uh, drivers of labor demand in this kind of you know, pandemic and now post-pandemic recovery. Uh, a lot of the job openings are tied to small businesses. It's been the biggest surge there. Yet there's also still often talk of we just cannot hire enough workers. So one of their, you know, the argument for a soft landing was that we'd be able to reduce the number of job openings and demand for labor without a lot of increase in the unemployment rate and people kind of being laid off. That is still a possibility. It really kind of comes down to how much you know, these small businesses feel the pinch from prior to credit, how much they're willing to kind of hang on to workers versus let them go. They try and ride through. So I think as that plays out, that really is going to be the key determinant of, of how severe this kind of, you know, the economic hit will be to all these developments. But I think the key point is that it definitely kind of skews the risks more to the downside versus the upside. Uh, and it means all sequel growth is going to be worse than it would have been from what we knew just even, you know, kind of two weeks ago before these developments. But I think it's a little bit too soon and premature to say this is going to lead to a hard landing. Certainly a mild recession is very, very possible. But, uh, you know, the timing of the magnitude of it is still a little bit of an up in the air at this point. Jason, with that in mind, it's, of course, important to acknowledge it remains a very fluid situation in the markets with a high degree of uncertainty over whether the bank stress will abate or get worse. And, of course, how this will affect growth, inflation, central bank policy. You touched on that for us a bit this morning, though. In terms of positioning, Jason, how is the chief investment office recommending that investors position their portfolios at this time? And what should investors not do, Jason? And during periods of volatility? Well, in terms of you know, what they should do, in some way the guidance there is easier and, and more understandable than trying to figure out to determine what the Fed is going to do this week or whether we're going to get a you know, mild recession, hard or deep recession, or something else in the economy. It goes, there's a lot of uncertainty there. But if you look at the market pricing and performance, and I go back to my opening comments about how the markets have behaved over the past seven trading days, U.S. equities are still kind of pricing a relatively benign scenario, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a growth contraction in terms of earnings, but nothing significant, uh, almost essentially pricing, you know, still a soft landing scenario, whereas the bond market, the treasury market is pricing at this point in time for a recession. Uh, and then it, oil as well is also kind of pricing for a recession and credit markets increasingly kind of moving in that direction. So given all the volatility, there's been a lot of sort of dislocations, but I think the bottom line still is that you look at the overall risk reward for equities, something we've been saying, you know, since our hustle update last month is it's not particularly attractive. Uh, you take a lot of potential, you know, volatility without a lot of return, we think, you know, through year end. Uh, and that hasn't changed. And in fact, given the, the greater sort of downside risk to the growth, therefore to earnings, you know, the risk reward for equities, you know, looks even more skewed to the downside. 
At the same time, we think about uh, you know other opportunities in the marketplace. We've liked higher quality fixed income, investment grade corporate bonds, uh, mortgage backed security bonds. You know these have done well. If you look over the past seven days, investment grade corporate bonds total return is positive. The decline in their yield because the Treasuries has more than offset uh, you know the rise in their spreads, so it's a positive return. And now the spreads are priced in even sort of you know, more kind of you know kind of recession risk. So just in terms of like where would you want to be allocated among corporate America, kind of going up in quality uh, on the capital structure, you know, to buy an investment grade corporate bonds still look kind of more attractive. You know, a view that we've had uh, you know last month was to kind of you know moderately lengthen duration in your portfolios when the ten year was around close to four percent. Now that it's back down to three point four percent, you know, we'd sort of maybe be a little bit cautious about sort of lengthening the duration. So we think ultimately rates will probably back up a little bit. It's not necessarily to that 3.94% level, but you know, closer to that. Um, but overall, from a fixed income perspective, a lot of investors have been sort of sitting in cash, didn't want to you know, buy longer duration bonds because of the fear of rates rising. But what we've seen over the past week is you know, that benefit of having some of that duration in your portfolio because if you do get real growth concerns, rates will decline as they have, and you actually get sort of that diversification that we haven't had for over a year with stocks and bonds. And the correlation over the past 20 days between stocks and bonds has, again, sort of reverted to be negative. You are getting that diversification benefit. So, you know, adding a little bit of you know, higher quality you know, bonds to your portfolio, diversify equities still makes sense. Um, a lot of these issues uh, are, you know, are kind of are a little bit U.S. focused right now in terms of you know, the banking situations. We haven't seen some of that stress filter out into other parts of the world, such as emerging markets. Uh, and the fact that the dollar is weakened a little bit is also, again, a sign that you haven't seen this broader contagion. So investors that are looking outside of, of the U.S., looking to emerging markets, that's an opportunity to kind of diversify, you know, especially in a situation where it's a kind of a mild recession at worst in the U.S. or stall signing. Other parts of the world can actually outperform, given that U.S. equities are, are still relatively expensive. Uh, you know, we still like, uh, you know, you know, commodities, given you know, how much they pull back. We think it's sort of more than is sort of warranted by the overall kind of global growth concerns. Um so those are some things that investors we suggest they do. What you don't want to do is, you know, kind of overreact to the news. You know, make sure you think about like, how do you want to be allocated strategically to kind of ride through this. Uh, make sure you have sufficient, you know, diversification in your portfolio. So don't just necessarily sit in cash. Think about how you want to allocate your fixed income portfolio to give you some other opportunities and protection. Because if, if rates do decline, then while well, you might get attractive yields right now, when you come down six months, twelve months on loan to refinance. Uh, you're going to be refinancing it at the lower level. So having some of that longer duration of the portfolio to kind of help diversify is another thing to, to think about doing. Jason, very helpful market insights, positioning guidance to begin the week. As mentioned, a lot will be unfolding over the next couple of days. It will be interesting to see how the markets respond. And of course, we'll keep our listeners informed along the way. And looking forward to checking back in with you next Monday on The Snapshot, though. Jason, thank you again, as always, for dropping by and for keeping us informed on the latest thinking and guidance from the Chief Investment Office. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Dan. Have a good week. Today, we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Before we close out, I do want to highlight uh, that Jason's latest blog titled One Year Later is now available for you to reference up on UBS.com slash CIO. If you are a client of UBS, simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's latest blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 